Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, guys. I'm John Weeks from Plant-Based Face-Off, the Instagram page all about trying new plant-based food alternatives. I try, compare, and rate the latest food in the vegan world and let you know which is best. I'm talking everything from burgers to cheese to chocolate. Check me out on Insta at Plant-Based Face-Off. Now, though, it's time for this week's podcast. Enjoy. You're listening to The Contest and Me, a podcast from the Euro Trip. Hello, everyone. How are you? Thanks for joining us for a brand new episode of the Euro Trip podcast and our special mini series called The Contest and Me, where we speak to well known super fans of the Eurovision Song Contest. We've got a very special guest joining us on today's episode. Joining me, James, and of course, Rob, you are back as always. Absolutely. It's good to be with you, James. Good to be with you, everybody at home. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you very much for choosing us, because I know that is a conscious decision. Either that or what's happened is that accidentally it skipped onto like a podcast that's a bit similar to something else you've listened to. If that is the case, apologies that you found us, but maybe stick around. Maybe you might enjoy it. You never know. But as James said, we are in the midst of The Contest and Me, which is our special mini-series, or actually coming towards the end of it. This is episode five. There is an episode six next week, and then the week after that, very special little bonus episode, but we, we shouldn't give too much away about that. Yeah, I don't want to give too much away. We've already said, I think, that they are a female on special episode number seven, and also I think I gave away on my Twitter account last week that they do come from Scandinavia, but we will tell you a little bit more about who that special guest is over the next fortnight or so. But to today's guest, Rob, who's joining us today? That's right. Today is an interview that I was delighted to do. It is with formerly BuzzFeed's TV editor. He's a TV critic, broadcaster. You will have seen his tweets all over Twitter. Sounds weird. Obviously, you'd see his tweets all over Twitter. You know what I mean. What I mean by that is he's a very retweeted man. He loves tweeting about Eurovision. He loves Eurovision. He is Scott Bryan. So it was fantastic to be able to have a chat to him. So we'll get to that interview very, very shortly. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip, the contest and me. 
Another week, episode five of six. I say six. There is another one after that, but it's a little little bonus. We love a bonus here on the Eurotrip. More maybe details to come shortly. I mean, there are definitely more details to come. At some point, you will find out who's who's on that who's on that episode, but maybe maybe not right now. But it's lovely to be with you. I hope you're all well. I hope you've had a a decent week, uh, Mr. Rowe, Mr. James. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Hopefully, I've had a better week over the last seven days than you had over the previous seven days when we last spoke. Does that make sense? Because you had a bit of a bad week, didn't you? It did. I had a bit of a bump, a bit of a car crash. Uh, the car is still still broken, but can be driven, uh, if, if, you, if you're interested. Uh, Mr. Mouse still about as well, unfortunately. Uh, walked into the kitchen yesterday to find the little fella just having the time of his life uh, near the bin. So that was nice. Um, yeah, he has evaded all forms of capture <laughs> thus far. I'll, I'll update you again next week, as I'm sure everybody listening to this is is delighted with the the mouse updates because it takes up some valuable Eurovision time. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to uh, update number three on Mr. Mouse. But I must say, Rob, massive thanks to you uh, for my wonderful birthday present that arrived uh, on Saturday. Thank you so much for sending that. You're very welcome. Do you want to share with everybody what it was? Yes, it was absolutely nothing. Now, that's not true, because you know and I do, that I dedicated an entire tweet on the Eurotrip account to you. And I don't remember you wishing me happy birthday from the, from the account. Uh, yeah, is that the way you've gotten around it then? Well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know whether you saw the tweet on Saturday, everybody. Uh, it simply says, happy birthday to everybody's second favourite Eurotrip podcast presenter, which I think is fair enough. <laughs> And lover of all things French, uh, at Mr. James Rowe, XOXO, which may have been inspired by the fact that I've just been watching the Gossip Girl reboot. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, a little balloon and a, and a birthday cake and a picture of you, James, with... Uh, Madame Monsieur, of course, the greatest actor ever graced the Eurovision stage. I'm sure you agree, Rob. I thought you were going to say planet, and I'm pleased, <laughs> that you, uh, I'm pleased that you restrained yourself. Um, but that did prompt a few people, I say a few, limited people to pop on there and wish you happy birthday (laughs) victoria wished you happy birthday did she not she did yes absolutely thanks victoria thanks for getting in touch thanks for your message lots of people liked the tweet which i think is is basically them wishing you happy birthday but they couldn't really be asked to wish you happy birthday but Mm. they still hope you had a nice day Uh, and then stuart wished you happy birthday he said hope you're having a good day you replied saying cheers stuart pizza beers and eurovision rewatches on the cards stuart then said sounds like an excellent plan what year will you opt for and what's going to be on the pizza you rudely didn't reply until the next day. And then you said, <laughs> then you said, tune into this week's podcast to find out. Well, it's this week's podcast. So, Stuart, if you're listening, here's those answers that you've been after. Yeah, well, naturally, I didn't reply until the morning because I was busy enjoying my pizza beers and Eurovision rewatch. Uh, the pizzas, well, I don't really remember, actually. It was definitely some sort of, I don't know, sausage supreme kind of thing. There's definitely a lot of a sausage supreme. <laughs> There's a lot of sliced circular meat on top of it. This sausage supreme sounds like a good enough name. For it, doesn't Did it have a, a chorizo on that? A pepperoni? Uh, pepperoni. There was definitely some sort of sausage, like you know, like a normal sausage. You know what did, I mean? Did it come from a well-known takeaway that rhymes with Womanos? <laughs> yes, it came in those red and blue boxes. Yes, indeed. Very good. Uh, and then saved some for breakfast, but. Uh, more pressing matters, Eurovision 2006, which I may have said this before, but I think could perhaps be, (laughs) this is controversial, one of the strongest years of the contest there's ever been. 
I don't think that's controversial. I think you were hoping that I would come come on now and say, no, James, you're very wrong. Mm. But no, I actually agree with you, actually. I think it was great. Oh, well. Big fan. <laughs> yeah. And the 2006 final, also home of the greatest Eurovision song of all time. Alf Danson, Charlotte Goldbranson, Norway. Yeah. That's the moment you sort of fell in love with the contest, which is a kind of a good enough segue for me to say, coming up in today's podcast, we're going to talk to Scott Bryan and ask him what is favourite moment is and the moment he fell in love with the Eurovision Song Contest. But first, shall I do a couple of messages about last week's podcast where we spoke to, uh, of course, Alex Mansarolo. He's a uh, radio presenter on KISS FM here in the UK. And loads of you, as ever, have been listening and getting in touch. Uh, A couple of messages here. Uh, The reorder board on Twitter got in touch again. We know we read out one of their messages last week and they do some great stuff over on YouTube. So I just thought, we might as well read another one of their messages out because the question we ask everybody, or one of them at least, is what should the BBC do to change their fortunes? And a lot of people are enjoying this question and the reorder board is one of them. Because Alex said, let's try something new. Let's try drill music, which we really enjoyed. And he said, Alex is so right. The UK delegation question is great. Personally, I think you need an act via three criteria, uniqueness, authenticity, and be more comfortable on BBC Radio 1 than BBC Radio 2. Which, which rules is... us two out, obviously. Well, uh, yeah, I was, was going to say we're, we're creeping towards the Radio 2. Creeping I towards? I mean, you're creeping towards. I am <laughs> hurling headlong towards, <laughs> towards that demographic as we speak. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another one on uh, via Instagram. Uh, Chirapt got in touch. I hope that's how you say your username. If well, I can almost guarantee it's not. But let's go with that. <laughs> Well, if that sounds like what your username is, Chirapt. Uh, thanks for getting in touch, said. Amazing episode. Very interesting. We all hope that the UK will do better in the future. Yeah, I'm sure that's a, a sentiment that everybody resonates with and agrees with. Hopefully, we'll see some fortunes change in the uh, not-so-distant future. Yeah, some rumours on Twitter this week. I don't know where they've come from. The, the BBC and BMG have, have split, um, and they will not be going forward for Eurovision 2022. But when we find out more, here on the Eurotrip podcast, because we've got we've got our sources, we've got people that we chat to. Um, we'll let you know whether we hear anything, of course. Yes, but at the moment, as Rob says, they are indeed rumours. We know how much Eurovision Twitter loves a rumour. When that news becomes official, or if that news doesn't become official whatsoever, I'm sure we will bring you slap bang up to date. But as ever, I've read, read those messages out from Twitter and Instagram. If you've got any messages at all on the podcast or anything you want to get in touch with us with, don't forget we're on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Eurotrip Podcast. And for any of your longer messages, you can get us via email. That's ah, what is it? Right, so lightly. And for any of your longer messages, you can get in touch via email. That's hello at eurotrippodcast.com. You'd have thought at this point we would get the email down, wouldn't you? But uh, <laughs> apparently not. <laughs> oh, dear. This is the Eurotrip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. One day, I tell you, we'll bring you a podcast where we'll get all of the contact details correct first time. But that week is not this week. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for joining us because you're not really here for me and James. You are here for today's interview on the Eurotrips, the contest and me, this little mini series. So far, we have heard from so many interesting people. We have heard from, this is now going to be me trying to remember everyone we've heard from, Paddy O'Connell. We have heard from Steve Rosenberg. 
Bellacvist and Alex Monsoroilo. There's only four. I mean, I should remember them, shouldn't I? Uh, <laughs> we've got one more to come, of course, in the big final episode next week. Followed by that secret little bonus. That was creepy. I'm not going to whisper on the podcast again. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but today is the former TV editor, at BuzzFeed, TV critic, broadcaster. He's everywhere. He's like a lovable cockroach. Everybody loves him. Do you reckon you like that comparison? Maybe not. I was going to say lovable something else that is always about. He's like that mouse in my kitchen. He just always pops up when you're least expecting him. That's maybe a bit better. He's Scott Bryan, and he has got some fascinating stories to tell about his love and interest and, yeah, just general connection with the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, if you are on Twitter, he is somebody I'm sure you will have seen because people retweet his tweets like there's no tomorrow. He knows everything there is to know about the world of TV, specifically, of course, here in the UK. And when the Eurovision Song Contest comes around, he is tweeting ferociously about the contest that we uh, that we all love. So naturally, he's got some views and opinions and some thoughts about the Eurovision Song Contest, including the way he fell in love with it, which I must admit is a is a peculiar way. I will get to that in a second, about some of his earlier memories. And of course, we'll get to the BBC question, which he has some good thoughts about as well. Yeah, delighted that via this interview with Scott, I was able to rediscover one of my favourite songs from Eurovision 2007. So stay tuned for that. And also plenty of chat about long-lost BBC Eurovision national selection shows, which I think, as regular listeners to the podcast will know, one of mine and James's favourite subjects. But let's get to it. It's time for episode number five and our very latest interview on the contest and me. Take it away. Or rather, good to go. Scott Bryan. This is the Euro Trip. Scott Bryan, thank you very much for joining us on The Contest and Me. Oh, thanks very much. Very happy to be here. Scott, we are going to ask all about your love, hopefully, of the Eurovision Song Contest in the next little while on the podcast. But, of course, we have to begin the same place we begin with everybody. Uh, What were your thoughts on The Contest in Rotterdam? I thought it was a really impressive, solid, amazing night, really. I think it was particularly meaningful... I mean, the fact that we didn't have one last year and then we were able to have one this year and it being so smooth and so efficient. I think if you hadn't had known that there was the pandemic on and then you tune in, you wouldn't have known, really. It felt like such a big event, even though at the same time it was so limited in terms of the amount of people who were there. But it was also just that that meaningful sort of level. The fact that this was, I think, the first time, bar maybe the Brit Awards, for those that count, um, seeing people being in the same room as each other, having audiences and having that as a live TV event. I think over the course of the last year, we have had live TV, but it's been a bit weird and awkward. And of course, you know, absolutely responsible in terms of having social distancing, but it's felt a bit stale and stilted and it had to have been done so in that way. And this was a full-blown glitzy pop song fest with all of the drunken tomfoolery that we have loved it for ever. So, 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 so that's why it was like particularly meaningful in terms of it being a solid Eurovision, but also just giving us what we so desperately needed. The best part of it for me was the fact that the uh, restrictions here in the UK let you have, I think, six people in your house just in time for Eurovision week. It was like the whole thing was planned. <laughs> I think it changed on the Monday. The first semi-final was on the Tuesday. It's like the government were like, it's Eurovision this week. We'll sort that out. 
I mean, although I know some friends who I was like, oh, do you want to come around and watch Eurovision? And they were like, what, see you just sat over a laptop and um, phone for five hours tweeting rather than engaging in any form of conversation. Mm, I might be at the pub instead watching it there. Given your background, you are Mr. TV. So what did you make of it from a TV viewing perspective? I think it works really well as a live TV event. I think one thing I've always really admired about Eurovision is that it really shows the strength of TV still in this streaming age that we live in by the fact that they it is a put together, you know, obviously by Eurovision, but mostly public service broadcasters working together and working together for the most maximum amount of viewers possible, really. And some of these you know, channels that I've obviously shown throughout Europe are commercial channels, um, but a lot of them are public service like the BBC. And I think it is one of the advantages that a channel like the BBC has over Netflix and Amazon, because a joy of TV and the reason why I got into writing and talking about TV so much is how it can make a big event in itself, how it can bring people together on a certain thing, how it lights up Twitter like nothing else. And Eurovision is it. But here we are. Oh, yes. Welcome to the grand final of the Eurovision Song Contest 2021. Like, it's always been there in my life, but it seems to be heading in a trajectory that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But that defies logic because you should assume that with all of the, you know, the distractions from TikTok and Twitter and YouTube, it should be getting smaller and smaller because we're not giving our attention on it. But it's just the fact that, it's professional level, but also the acts it gets along um, is um, ensuring that essentially it's 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 still got that relevancy, but also that the BBC and and you know all the other broadcasters putting it together can still do a show that can excite a load of people at the same time and excite such young audiences as well. So like, when have you seen recently? such a high proportion of the viewership coming from from young audiences like you say with all those distractions i remember i think you tweeted maybe the week the week after you know just such a ridiculously high proportion of the viewers on that saturday night were in that i think 16 to 24 or or something like that demographic yeah no you are completely right because um there was a 4% increase in the amount of people who had watched the competition compared to 2019 so 183 million viewers um, but if you looked at younger audiences, so that's a coveted sort of 15 to 24 year olds, very much targeted by advertisers. But it's also the, the shit hot thing that um, all the channels want because they're so hard to come by. It was up by 7 percent. So that's huge. And and also just the viewing figures are some of the highest that they have been for many countries, particularly the BBC. So we had the highest viewing figure since 2014. So that was 7.4 million people watched Eurovision on the night. And that's actually ahead of France, Italy, even the Netherlands who hosted it. So, so, you know, I would be wondering if I was working at the BBC, like how can you extend Eurovision a bit more? Because you kind of shove on the semi-finals on BBC4 during the, during the weeknight. Fine, I don't agree with it because it randomly happens after a Bob Ross painting, but, but sure, do it. But I'm sort of thinking in terms of, and we'll probably get onto this later, about the selection process. 
like having the younger like the younger viewers are there they're interested they're at the door they're talking about it they're, they're obviously not watching this show by accident try to see whether you can extend a eurovision specific british thing for more than just for night because it feels quite wasteful if you have other entertainment shows on on the bbc on a saturday night that are all around let's say little mix or um take that and such but you have a massive massive hit on your hands and you only have it one week a year feels a bit counterintuitive you were right that we will come to that later but that was a nice that was a nice, that was a nice, that was a nice that was a nice little tease i liked it more of that more of that to tease <laughs> let's get on then to the first big question that i'm going to ask which is scott what was your first eurovision memory so my first uh, memory was actually not watching Eurovision because I was having an argument with my sister about Eurovision. So I sulked, I went into my downstairs bedroom. Uh, I don't know why the bedroom had to be downstairs. It's not really relevant to the story. Um, but I went to, the, to um, the bedroom and I ended up listening to it on uh, Radio 2 with Ken Bruce's commentary and then trying to imagine the scenes in my mind. <laughs> so um, that's what I was like when I was about eight, I think. Um, and also I was trying to, I love Ken Bruce, but I was trying to imagine him as Terry Wogan in my yeah. head as well. Um, and then my sister, I forgot what we were having an argument about. We argued about every 20 minutes. I love Robin. I really do. But yeah. And she eventually tried to get me through to see the winner. And I was in such a, a mood. I refused. <laughs> um, so I never found out really who won that year. I think a shared thing that many people have with Eurovision is that it's kind of there every single year throughout our entire lives. Like we've kind of grown up with it in a way. We might have ignored it for a while and got back into it. What was the first year that you started to listen to it or watch it even? <laughs> I've not listened to it. I've always liked the idea of listening to it because I always think Cambridge would be great, but I could never, never draw myself away from the TV. Obviously, you've got to, you've got to watch it. Um, I think for me, and I can never quite work out what it was, I think it was 2004, and I think it was, I was at my parents, obviously, and uh, I think they had some friends around, and I think they were like flicking through the TV, like, oh, what should we put on? And I think, yeah, Eurovision obviously was on that night, and they flicked it on, and I think my dad said something like, oh, we're not watching that. And I was like, this looks amazing. Like, we've got to watch this. And I think I did manage to persuade them to watch it. And uh, It is always when parents mention about how much they, they hate something it's like a little rebellious streak in you goes what's that how can 100%. i get involved in it your ears prick up and i think we were just in time to see the uk entry that year because at that point i was like what is this are the uk in it and i think it was it was james fox off of fame yep. academy uh for the uk <laughs> that year yeah, so it was 2004 uh, i don't think he did that well but i didn't know that the uk didn't do that well at that time so the whole thing was just yeah very enjoyable and i've pretty much been been locked in ever since so I don't know. Maybe we can thank James Fox for that. I don't know. <laughs> can you remember? Can you, can you remember what winner you you missed from? Well, probably not because you missed it because so, you were you were downstairs in the bedroom and not watching. Yeah. Do you do you have a? I mean, how much is your? I I guess you've got a very good sort of photographic memory about which winner it was in which year. So I'm thinking it was 1998. Congratulations to Dala International, the winning song. I can't believe I missed the iconic Ghana International. <laughs> I love that. I love that. No one else's first Eurovision memory has been like that. And I like <laughs> no, no one ever will. <laughs> enjoy that very much. 
Um, so moving on, maybe to happier memories. Maybe there are less arguments with your sister in this one. Uh, the moment that you first fell in love with Eurovision. I think it was watching a compil- compilation. I can't even say that word. I'm not going to. A show that highlights uh, successful entries from years past. And it was Switzerland's entry from 2007, which I think didn't get past the semifinals, done by an artist called DJ Bobo. And it was called Vampires Are Alive, which is a Pirates of Penzance style entry where the lead singer comes on and shouts, Vampires Are Alive in Helsinki. And it's got some of the most baffling choreography with like mohawks and... I think what they have decided to do is that because there are rules about how many people can be on stage at one time during Eurovision, I think it's six, isn't it? And I don't know whether this is their plan, but it ended up being so. There's about seven mannequins on the stage to make the stage more, more, more busier more, um, and well attended than it actually was. But the thing I love about this song is the fact that um, none of the people on stage look like vampires. So, so the whole song is called Vampires Are Alive and there are no vampires in this song called Vampires Are Alive. Tonight is a night live a thousand years Don't be scared, don't drown in tears Free your spirits after midnight Save your soul What's nuts about that as well that year is that that was the favourite to win in 2007. It like, was that, not. It was. That was the favourite to win. And there was like such a huge shot that it, like you said, didn't make it through the semi-final. And presumably <laughs> didn't make it through the semi-final because the staging was exactly as you've just described. Abhorrent. Just abhorrent in so many different ways. But that's what's great about Eurovision. You've just described the worst staging ever. And you've given that as your reason why you loved, the, why you fell in love with Eurovision. That's fantastic. Because, because in any other circumstance, the BBC or whoever wouldn't allow it. They would be like, no, what, what is this for viewers? Like, like, but because of the obligation that this is part of the entertainment schedule, we are going to see Switzerland's entry. And this is the, the thing about Eurovision. It's so easy to be sneery and look down at it. And of course, there are some baffling, baffling performances. And there always will be. That's part of what makes Eurovision special. But I think there's always been, you know, particularly in recent years, much more mainstream or kind of really popular bands that have built up a lot of momentum behind them, uh, like Monoskin you know, for this year. You know, clearly huge um, popularity throughout Italy, but also Europe. And I think part of that was Eurovision related, but also part of it wasn't. So like, yes, baffling and weird, certainly one thing, but also it does have credibility on the other. And it wouldn't be Eurovision, like you say, without both of them. Yes, of course, exactly. And that's what makes it so wonderful. Uh, It may be, then, that your favourite Eurovision year was 2007 from DJ Bobo and the ridiculous performance that that was. Or is there another year that you've got in mind? Your favourite Eurovision year? Oh, I think probably for the host alone, the year that Sweden had hosted it with Petra Mans. In 2016. 2016. You can't get better than that. I think it was... Um, it, it did two things. Firstly, it provided presenters that were as funny as they were trying to be, because sometimes, like, bless them, they really try, but because of the language barrier or the fact that you are in front of 75,000 people, it just does not translate to a family audience at home, particularly if you've got sarcastic commentary throughout it. But they managed to 
hit the right notes of like gently teasing it, but also not going too harshly into it. But for me, I think it also provided one of the best Eurovision moments ever, which was the Love, Love, Peace, Peace interval that managed to bring in so many different baffling eccentric wonderful things from other eurovision performances and it was such a good parody of eurovision i think it actually killed eurovision like <laughs> it had nowhere else to go like the fact that they managed to bring on like the old grannies the tricks in the hamster wheel the guys like um uh skating it alexander ride back on the on the um violin going away like it had absolutely all those elements i was thinking oh no eurovision is now self-aware it can't, it can't ever done it. They've just done a joke about river dance. That's it. Finish it. I mean, well done. Had a great run. I think what was so great as well, actually, about that year is that maybe, the, and I didn't realise this until 2016, is actually British humour and Swedish humour appears to be quite similar. Like, yes. Like, I think we, we like, we kind of like the same thing. Like it's that level of like self-deprecation and sarcasm that, that only kind of we know and love. And it appears that they love it as well. All our new viewers, a very warm welcome. And all these newcomers must, from all around the world must be looking at us right now thinking the exact same thing. What on earth is going on? Yes, I'm sure they're thinking, what are these people doing? And who is that beautiful woman on stage? And why is her son standing next to her? And also like how Petra Mans has just become like Manta's in every Eurovision now like he managed to sign a deal with Eurovision somewhere in deep in the contract of regardless who is the host winner you will have him along at one part of the ceremony and I think that is very rare like he was performing Heroes on a Roof this year which was quite exposed in the cold heat but the cold heat but you know what I mean um but yeah just the delight I always think when is he going to appear each year and he does well, he got himself in, uh, got himself in doing the UK selection as well. When we had the selection, I think he presented <laughs> that he with did. Mel Gedroich as well. Of course, uh, of course. I love Mel Gate, um, Mel when when she does it. Um, I think my favourite bit was when she was doing the selection process one year, and Katrina from Katrina and the Waves was on it, and her microphone broke when she was shouting <laughs> one of the artists about potentially getting through. So she sounded like Davros, and then Mel was making a joke about her sounding like Davros and that was probably my only memorable bit from any selection based program that the BBC has ever ever done so again we'll come back to that later because <laughs> by the sounds of it what you've said is the UK need to extend their Euro- extend their Eurovision coverage maybe with a selection show maybe not anyway we'll talk about that in a bit um favorite Eurovision song is it DJ Bobo <laughs> I think there were multiple. I think Say What by San Marino last year. Um, say and just na 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 was just phenomenal because it was such a deep voice. And the fact that they managed to get through to the final was just a delight. Forgot the artist's name. What is it? Sir um, Hat. Oh, Sir Hat. Wonderful Sir Hat. It was I, just I didn't realise, but I don't know if you know this, Scott, but Sir Hat apparently. And this is one of those like Chinese whispers things. I don't know how true it is. Apparently he's a millionaire. And the reason that he has done Eurovision for San Marino, I think twice now, uh, and maybe even more, I think it's twice, is that apparently he just approaches the broadcaster and goes, here's some money, can I do Eurovision? And they and they go, <laughs> sure, if you fancy it. And then, of course, nothing um, is going to be as great as Senhir and Flowrider from, from this year who were so convinced they were going to win. That's what I loved about it. They spent, you know, obviously Flo Rida, 
probably not the most affordable of artists to come through for a small nation. But like um, the fact that they managed to get that involved, it was it was also baffling. But I think they were in the order right at the end as well. So by that chance, you've seen everything. And there's like, sure, Flow Riders here. Might as well. Yeah, it was the cherry on the top of the cake, wasn't it? When Flow Rider just turns up. But also in terms of my kind of favourite song, I don't know, like, it's probably my, more my favourite performance than song. It was um, Australia's um, uh, 2019 entry, the one where they put Kate and several backing dancers on that pole. And it was like 20 metres in the air. They flung around in kind of concentric circles whilst putting computer-generated imagery to make her seem that she was flying. And, like, it's daft. Like, there's no other way about it, but it's yeah. daft. And, like... But it was so meaningful. Like, it was probably like one of the first Eurovision songs to make me cry. But, like, the themes of the song kind of covers her and um, kind of talking about, like, overcoming postnatal depression. So it was kind of all about this idea about renewal and, 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 and being free, which was really meaningful. But it was also just the scale of it and the flying in the air was just wild and I guess kind of what made it even weirder was then going on to Twitter later and seeing what the audience could see versus what we could see at home because it was very it was very different wasn't it you're essentially seeing three women on top of a giant lollipop swinging around um whilst on tv it was very different but also the facts as well like you said what the audience saw and I'm sure there was a video doing around on Twitter which is obviously the incredible transitions that you get at Eurovision between songs and you know they have to do mad things with the staging take certain props off put certain props on and her just being wheeled on on her big like up that big old stick and then somebody had to sort of put the microphone on the end of what looked like a selfie stick and try and like poke it up (laughs) towards her and the whole thing was just full of jeopardy. I was like, if she drops that microphone now, I mean, she's done. Yes. She's not picking it up, is she? No. Oh, God, it's stuff I haven't really thought about then. And, it, and I was also really worried because if you were watching it, it was most likely probably fine. But like them trying not to hit each other in the air when they were spinning around because it looks like they could. Like That was the thing. And they didn't, which is harder to retrieve. But then like wheel, wheel out the lollipops at the end of it and move along to the next performance. Those changeovers are phenomenal. 100%. I just love the jeopardy of a Eurovision performance. There are so many through the years when you're like, that could have gone wrong. or And lots of them where it's like, it did. I know. I, I think, um, like, we know, was it with this year's, with I, with, I'm always back, I always prefer the, the entries as the countries rather than the singers, yeah. so I do apologise. But, like, um, Ireland's entry this year, where they were trying to do so many transitions, and it, and it felt as if they were always one second behind because yes. all the scenes were, were just about there, but not about there. And then it just sort of felt, and like, you know, that's part of the real jeopardy about the overall night, isn't there? Um, you could, you've got to applaud the ambition, but I do, like you say, remember just watching Leslie Roy and she just looked perpetually stressed through the entire thing. <laughs> Which is not how you want to win, is it? <laughs> not, it's not what you want when you've got a lot to concentrate on at the same time. No. But, uh, oh, dearie me. Oh, so we've done favourite year. We've done favourite song. Uh, now and maybe it's DJ Bobo again. I feel like it's going to come up a lot. <laughs> I love this. It's the theme. Do I just take tech tech to theme again? Hundred percent. Maybe we need to get him on the podcast. Love to find out his thoughts on two thousand and seven. Uh, your most memorable Eurovision moment. You know what? I'd say mem- there are so many memorable moments. I think for me, Terry Wogan, when he was despairing 
when they went to the green room when all of the rest of Europe was in advertising and he found the green room host so frustrating he was despairing and saying please can we watch the, the commercials <laughs> like that for me was like bless Terry but that was like perfect t- Terry and and now every year when they do the green room bits and they try to make it I always think of him because also like he was a familiar voice that I was with all, all throughout my childhood and kind of gave my parents permission to watch as well I think if it wasn't for his wry sarcasm I don't think they would have had permission to have watched it because it would have been alienated by it he kind of gave them legitimacy so I think of my parents watching it and then I think of Terry so I think that and then probably from this year like the whole James Newman zero points thing and the absolute wild way that it was spilling out in which like we got zero points and and I you undoubtedly know the other countries that also got zero points during the public vote didn't they but all of them were like zero 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 and it was like the solidarity reverberating around the room because bless him anyway I don't think he had a song that was deserving of many points but I don't think he he was expecting nor I don't think we were for it to have gone down like such a lead balloon on the night so just having that solidarity and hearing those cheers was just a lovely sight to see, I think. We've got a lot to thank James Newman for from this year. The two things for me are the gold catsuit that the BBC decided to stick him in for the final. He didn't wear it for any of the rehearsals. And there was a lot of talk on Twitter about, oh, the UK entry, it needs it needs a little bit of an oomph in, in the final. What, what can we do? <laughs> gold catsuit, we'll get that out of the back of the car. They love that. And then the second thing was, um, and I think I'm right in saying this, obviously at the end of everybody's song, normally the artist awkwardly tries to say, thank you, Europe, or Europe, I love you, or whatever. And James Newman, just in his gruff Northern voice, just went, big up Europe! (laughs) It was sensational. I don't think any Eurovision artist has ever said big up Europe at the end of their song before. And it was also, I think, that when he got zero points, like normally that's not the moment where you crack open alcohol and spill it all over everybody else in front of you but that's but that's what seemingly happened like I think him looking like he was enjoying himself was the greatest achievement that night really yeah I wouldn't have wanted to be him on the Sunday not because of the performance but I can only imagine there was a there was a pretty hefty hangover on the Sunday morning surely (laughs) now we've talked about James perfect segue uh um, we've been teasing this enough throughout the course we of the podcast. The last so four far. answers, thanks to me. <laughs> <laughs> I've loved it. Uh, the UK, we know zero points last year. It's not been great. We've not been in the top five since 2009. So that was 12 years ago. Uh, so, Scott, if you were the UK's head of delegation, how would you change our approach to the Eurovision Song Contest? So, I think part of the issue that we're going through in terms of our low point scoring system is that it doesn't really feel like we're part of the process. So an artist is chosen, then on the night we're expected to love that artist, or we see them heavily trailed on BBC shows for a week or so. And then we don't really like the song, Europe doesn't really like the song, and then we just repeat the the process ad verbatim. And I think it's like, don't get me wrong, I think the BBC is giving it more of a focus by... Um, you know, partnering with BMG now and having an artist who's got credibility and has got songwriting um, skills under their belt. But I think like it kind of needs to go back to basics. And I would literally what I would do is I would do a TV show that would be like a selection process, not like X Factor, because 
I think X Factor has now been seen to be a terrible show, but like something that's a bit more nice natured and not boring, like like The Voice, where we would like choose an artist that anyone can put themselves forward for, because like the BBC has huge resources, like it's got. Um, you know, all of the links through BBC Local Radio. It's got all of the, the things with, it does with BBC Introducing. It's got links to every single festival circuit. And I would say that even though the, the, the modern mentality is, oh, no artist would want to get zero points internationally and wouldn't want to do, do this humiliation, like bollocks. I reckon like loads of artists would kill to perform on the world's greatest stage, even if they could potentially get zero, because that would probably give them more greater exposure than they would get through any other means. So if you had an open um, audition process of, look, all across the UK, we're trying to get good out for Eurovision, put yourself forward if you're unsigned, if if you're up and coming, and then find a way to have the public whittle those people down. I think that would be a good thing. I think like obviously challenges are that we might send a joke act that people go, oh, it's Eurovision. But like if there was some form of like methodology that we would tell viewers, like look at the winners for the last few years and look how much... They are going up, up in the charts. Look how many records they've sold. Yes, okay, occasionally we do get a hard rock hallelujah in, but like for the for the most part, it's you know artists now that can kind of keep the momentum going without the Eurovision machine behind them after this contest is over. That I think that might convince people to actually vote for something that they think is good rather than they, what they think other people. Because I think we put forward artists that we think other people will like rather than artists that we like ourselves. I think it's, it's that really. I thought way too much about this and in unrelated news, I'm single. So, so you know, <laughs> that's, the, that's the, but that, that's the theory, I think, is that we have to give it a bit more of our involvement. Does not turn up on the night and be like, oh, it's an artist. Oh, they've not won the end. I've thought so many times about what and yeah, terrifying, like like you've just said there, because pretty much I've had exactly the same thought process. But it's that thing that I was thinking, maybe why don't we try this in the final where we have and we did used to have the Great British Song Contest, I think it was called. I don't know. I was too young when that was on. First on BBC One, Dale Winton has the UK's Eurovision hopefuls. four Saturdays on the National Lottery Live. You've heard the finalists in the Great British Song Contest. Now it's up to you to choose a winner. So please welcome the lottery's own master of melodies, Dale Winton. Thank you, thank you. Oh, I can't believe they're so easily pleased, aren't they? Hi, this afternoon you'll be choosing... Which of our four finalists goes on to represent the United Kingdom in this year's live Eurovision Song Contest Spectacular in Dublin on the 3rd of May? Now, I, I know it's great, isn't it? I've been so looking forward to presenting this show, and the words definitely got out. I've even had people coming up to me in the street, builders, nuns, shouting at me, Eurovision! And I've gone, you're not too bad, you know? <laughs> the idea of like they do in other countries where why can't we have like a voting process where it's a bit like it is at Eurovision and you can get I don't know the north give their 12 points and Wales give their 12 points and we get 12 points from London and we get 12 points from Northern Ireland and why can't we do that I would love that Particularly like like all the Scottish islands would start ganging up on each other. Like Shetland would vote 12 points to Orkney and Orkney would give 12 points to Shetlands and Jersey would vote for Guernsey. Like that would be phenomenal. 
and um yeah i i i would also because where we live in where i live where my parents live in dorset is like we we're just over the road from wiltshire and we we're just over the road from hampshire so we could just start our own block voting ring there to ensure <laughs> that all of our country-based artists make all their way through i reckon you're onto something though i did want to ask you though i don't know whether um whether you agreed that this might be a good idea whether it'd be a bad idea but given your um expertise would the uk benefit from doing something like they do in belgium for example so in belgium the channels flip-flop i mean itv would, would be like oh format Woo. oh yeah we'll take that thanks very much we'll get bradley um, walsh on it yeah bradley yeah, yeah totally potentially what i i, I mean i'm it's hard because Unless then, then, of course, the contest is also shown on alternate channels as well, because I guess ITV would be thinking, why would we be showing a show that would be on the BBC? But then again, they spend so much of the year tied towards, you know, which act will perform and the Royal Variety performance. And I'm like, no one I know watches the Royal Variety before. Like, no one gives two hoots. I don't even think the Royal Family give a hoot. So, yeah, potentially. I was also involved in um, a really interesting discussion once on BBC Scotland, where Scotland... Um, some people want them to choose a Scottish artist because they're so fed up with how the rest of the UK are doing that they kind of want to choose their own. And of course, it's an interesting case because if Scotland ever become an independent nation, then just like the Eurovision film, they could potentially have their own. So that would mean, you know, potentially the show going on for even longer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we uh w- some of the weird conversations we have during this podcast as part of the contest and me uh my co-host james spoke to the bbc's moscow correspondent steve rosenberg oh a legend what an absolute hero and on similar lines they were talking about what certain things could the uk try you know to to improve their fortunes and steve rosenberg thinks that the uk should maybe send an artist one year who sings in welsh that would work potentially. Have we ever had a performance? I mean, this is me asking you, like you're an encyclopedia of, of knowledge, but have we ever had an artist perform in Welsh? We have not. The UK artists have always sung in English. But yeah, I love bit... that you know this. I love that you know this. <laughs> get a bit of Gaelic involved, get some Welsh Lovely. on. We could do all sorts. There's something nuts, and I'm sure this is true. And again, this is terrifying Eurovision encyclopedia level. I think the <laughs> last the last act the UK sent who was actually Scottish, I think it was 89. Yeah, no, yeah. no wonder, no wonder. It was the year that Celine Dion won. Anyway, Scott Scott Fitzgerald came second, and the song was written by Bruce Forsyth's daughter. There you are. You can use Phenomenal. that. I don't I know. When, don't know when you're going to use that, but you can have it for nothing. No, I'm going to have it for nothing. <laughs> Thank you very much, Scott. Last question from me. Uh, the one change to the contest you would most like to see going forward because we love it for all of its whatever it is but maybe there are a few changes that can be made i don't know uh my only suggestion i'll say it's pretty faultless night is to have the green room closer to the goddamn stage so that when they announce the winner it's not 45 minutes as cameras pan to the auditorium trying to find out where the hell they are like that's what i like the distance that monoskin had to uh, walk down before performing on the night was the distance of walking down the mall. I don't understand it. I I will never understand it. And then it's also the case that they get distracted by the fact that they've just as won that we don't see them. I mean, that actually, I wouldn't have them perform at the end. I'd just be like, look, fireworks, woo. Rather than be like, right, we're gonna re- don't worry, guys, we're going to reset the staging. 
We're going to get everything back to what it was. Here they are again. And they can't really sing because they're quite drunk and disorderly. Like, cut that bit, fireworks the end. We've all got homes to stay in. Like, that's the that's the idea. And like you say, at that point, it's usually approaching midnight. And you're usually in some sort of drunken stupor anyway. So actually, you probably want the contest to end pretty soon at that point. Also, I would have, I've forgotten his name, uh, Mr. Charisma. Uh, the guy who would always say, take it away. Oh, the executive supervisor, Yon Olasand. Yes, Yon Olasand. I would have him just say, even though I know he's not in charge anymore and I've got this new guy in who I bet is great, I would still have him in just saying, take it away regardless. <laughs> like the fact that they had somebody else in this year with his own little catchphrase saying, you're good to go or something. Scrap that. Just play a tape. Tape of Yon Olasand saying, take it away. That's all we want. That seems like the perfect place to end because I don't know how, how else I would want to end this podcast. That sounds perfect. Uh, yes. The idea of, yes, Scott, yes, you've lost it. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly the impression that I want people to take away from listening to you for the last however long this has been. Uh, Scott Bryan, thank you so much for joining us on the contest of me. Thanks so much indeed. Thank you. Well, what a great chat that was, Rob. With Scott Bryan, he is clearly just as passionate about the contest as all of the other guests who have joined us so far here on the contest and me. It was an absolute joy to skip through Eurovision history with Scott as part of that interview and I'll be honest with you listeners you may remember in that interview I brought you a little clip of the Great British Song Contest from 1997 which got me in a right old little wormhole is that what you call it what do you call it when you get lost on the internet James a wormhole yeah, I think so, yeah. I, I feel like you're looking for a different word here, but no, I, I think you've actually somehow got it spot on, haven't you? I don't know. Anyway, someone on Twitter will let me know otherwise, I'm sure. But yeah, I got myself stuck anyway, uh, spending, when I should have been doing some work, an extraordinary amount of time uh, watching some of the previous editions of the Great British Song Contest on YouTube, which somebody is delightfully uploaded uh, you can find 97 on there 98 99 uh, the 99 edition especially interesting because Ulrich Johnson spends I reckon about five minutes at the start just um talking about how much of it sounds like a horrible time she had hosting the contest in 1998 <laughs> oh really wow so clearly some people don't enjoy hosting Eurovision as much as it seems to look like they are yeah funny you should say that isn't it yeah it is yeah that is, uh, that's funny. Should we move on from that? Yeah, I think we probably should. Mm. Oh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. If you are listening, I don't know, well, would you be listening? Do you listen to your own? Oh, I'd, I'd probably listen to my own episode. Scott, if you're listening, thanks very much. And I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. And we will be back with another interview here on The Contest of Me next week. And also, I'm sure you all related to Scott when he said that Eurovision led to a bit of an argument at home when he was a child because we've all been there as I said in my interview with Scott similar thing with me and my dad where he said we're not watching this rubbish anyway what are we now 17 years on I still am unfortunately or rather very fortunately still watching to quote this old rubbish (laughs) yeah I'm glad you are otherwise this podcast would be very very one-sided wouldn't it I wouldn't really have anybody to talk to if you weren't still watching it 17 years on but I'm glad you are and Given you've listened this far to the end of the podcast, I'm very pleased to say that we can reveal who the seventh guest is here on The Contest of Me. And it's Rob Lilly. I'm just going to be chatting to him and getting his answers on it. I'm sure that's what you've all been looking forward to instead. 
How disappointing would that be if after <laughs> all of this, the special yet-to-be-announced bonus episode 7 was me? It's not, everybody. It's not. We've already said it is a lady, and she may be from the northern parts of Europe. So, stay tuned. Are we going to reveal it next week? Oh, I don't know. We've not decided, have we? We've not decided when you're going to find out. But you'll definitely find out within the next two weeks, given the episode is going to come out on the... Oh, wow, I wish I had a calendar. The 15th of September, I think. Oh, that's right. Something around there anyway. We've got a lot of fun to have with that one. You are going to, yeah, you're going to love it. I'm just very excited for you all to find out who it is. Uh, but for now, it's probably time for us to say goodbye. Because, yeah, we've been here. We've been babbling on for long enough. I've mentioned the mouse already. If we stay here for much longer, I'll probably just tell you even more in detail about previous editions of the Great British Song Contest. So we may as well leave. Uh, yes. Leave while we're in our prime. If arguably this is our prime, I'm not sure it is. No, me neither. Yeah, let's wrap up. We will be back, of course, in seven days' time with episode number six of the Eurotrip, the contest, and me. And I promise you, this is another super fan of the Eurovision Song Contest. Again, somebody who is very active on Twitter. You'll have seen them doing bits and bobs online. So I'm sure you're going to love that one. So make sure you come back in seven days' time for that one. But in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. Uh, From me, Rob, before I say goodbye, if they've announced the host city of Eurovision 2022, apologies, they hadn't done it by the time we recorded this, but we'll bring you some reaction when we find out where it is. Who knows? Maybe by the time we talk to you next week, we still won't know where the host city of Eurovision 2022 is. Regardless, I think this is just a long way for me to say goodbye. (laughs) That was a long way of saying goodbye. You love the limelight, don't you? Love the limelight. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.